the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Last week I told a little bit about the legend of my sister-in-law, Mindy. You remember that? First time I met her, and I thought she was a little feisty, and I thought, you know, I would pull her behind my boat through that big wave, you know, and bring her down a peg or two, and it didn't really work. Uh, it worked for a moment. She didn't say anything when she got on the boat, but eventually she was right back to being feisty Mindy. And uh, I'm going to tell you another little story about Mindy, but I want to say first that she's probably the only person I ever met from Kentucky. And I don't know what people are like in Kentucky. If they're all like Mindy, I, I would be afraid to drive through there. I mean, adventurous, adventurous, daring. She will say whatever she needs to say. Man, sometimes at the restaurant, she asks so many questions, the waitresses are like, I don't know what to tell you, lady. <laughs> she, she always finding the biggest deal or whatever. She's a fighter. And that's why I call her Feisty Mindy. And I've never seen her fight harder than when my brother was out of the blue diagnosed with stage four cancer several years back. And he, then a week later, they found out he had a tumor in his brain as well lung cancer and, and her brain tumor all thrown on them at once but she stood strong on the word of God and uh, you know we bumped heads a little bit at, at first me and old feisty Mindy because we were fighting over my brother you know but I had to admit she's his wife now and she and she won the battle so and she's a great mom she's a great wife and she has come to be a great friend I just wanted to clarify all that before I tell this next story on her <laughs> Because <laughs> you know, was it two or three weeks ago, we went down to the beach, uh, my family and, and uh, my brother Heath and Mindy and their boys, we all went together and we were staying on the fifth floor of this condo overlooking the beach and they were on the seventh floor and we were just having a good time. Every day we would go to the beach and, and sit out in our little beach chairs and have our umbrellas and I was trying to stay in the shade the best I could. And, Early in the afternoon, we had learned that if you could beat the rush to the restaurants if we would leave early. So we'd leave kind of early enough to go beat the rush at the restaurants, eat somewhere nice, and then we'd come back. We'd leave our beach chairs and umbrellas there. Well, one day we came back, and me and Angie got there before Heath and them, and so we said, well, let's go get the stuff, you know. And we walked out on the beach, and there was this huge, ominous black cloud just rolling down the beach. And there was lightning and stuff, and it seemed like it was off in the distance. And so we was walking across the beach to where we had our, and, and we said, let's get our stuff and put it, you know, pull it back before the storm comes. And it, by the time we got to the chairs, the storm was already almost on us. It was already spitting rain and, and wind was whipping and stuff. And so Angie's panicking and she's grabbing, and you were too. She was, don't be saying, uh, you, you grabbed the, um, she had about three umbrellas in a bag and all kind of stuff. And I had six beach chairs, my friends. And we started running across that sand, and I tell you what, my arms was about to die, and that was all I could do to hold them. But that storm was coming, you know what I'm saying? So we was running for our lives. It was lightning flashing everywhere, and we finally, we got, well, I say we got everything. We missed one little old umbrella. 
you know, they weren't nine dollar um nine ninety five, you know, one of those umbrellas. We said we just can't can't carry it in first trip, man. We ain't going back. So we dumped our stuff and we went up in the room. And I'm a storm watcher. Are you? You ever watch storms? They say more people get struck by lightning in Florida than just about anywhere in the world. And you probably shouldn't be sitting by the window when a storm's coming through. But I can't help myself. I I love to see God's majestic power in the storm sometimes and it was just flashes of lightning strikes of lightning and there wasn't a soul on the beach nobody was crazy enough to be down there you understand even though we was in a hotel with about 5,000 people nobody on the beach and so I was just sitting there at the window watching and my son and my daughter and and Angie we was all looking out there and just ooh, ah, it was like a, a fireworks show there was one lightning strike that struck near where our chairs had been it was so close to the beach that it it made an impression in my sight. It was, just, it was such a flash. You've seen a light before and you close your eyes and you can still see that light in your head, right? Well, I didn't even have to close my eyes. I could see the pattern of lightning still with my eyes wide open. It struck so close. It almost like burned my retinas. That's how close and dangerous this lightning storm was. <laughs> well, my brother called me on the phone. He was from the seventh floor up there he was telling me something about the baseball game that was going on or something. And all of a sudden, I, I said, is that a person going out there on the beach? So, and you could, from the fifth floor, all you could see was a person going out there with their little light on their phone, you know. Going across the beach. It's, it's dark by now. I mean, that storm has just made it completely dark. And they're going across the beach. And we're saying, look at that person. They're crazy. And everybody was saying, oh, my goodness. They're out there in that lightness. They're risking their life. What, what's wrong with that person? And that person went right out there and got that $9 umbrella and starts carrying it back. And then she got close. I said, that's Mindy. And I'm on the phone with her husband. I said, and everybody's like, oh, no, that's Mindy. And I said, Heath, do you know where your wife is? He said, nowhere. I said, she's out on the beach getting a $9 umbrella in this storm. And he goes, I don't doubt it. <laughs> I said, do you know she could get killed? He said, I know, but there ain't no way to stop her. <laughs> and so she, she put that umbrella down and came back in the house. It was crazy. The next morning I wake up, I imagine I slept a little late that day, about 9 o'clock, and, and I look out the window, and there's one of these parasailers. you seen them? They usually lie behind a boat with a parachute or whatever but this one didn't have a boat or anything this one's going out over the land and it's got a like a motor on his back and, the, and a parachute and flying all up around the hotel and stuff and I'm saying wow I want to get one of those I'm googling how much they cost you know and then they they begin to make a, a descent and come down and land on the beach and I said no It couldn't be. And I'm wishing I had some binoculars. But we'll finish that story in a minute. Turn in your Bibles to Luke 15.1. That Mindy. She's feisty. Luke 15.1. But why did I tell that story? I'll tell you. Because Mindy was not willing that one umbrella should be lost. She was willing to give her life for a $9 umbrella. 
Does anybody see where I'm going with this? Luke 15, 1, it says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Do you know God's kind of love often upsets self-righteous religious people? They get mad. They claim to love Jesus, but they don't know anything about the love of Jesus. Verse 3 says, so Jesus told them this story. If a man had a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Now, who is he telling this story to? The Pharisees and the teachers of religious law that are complaining that he's hanging out with the sinners. He says, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. And in the same way, he says, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. He's trying to teach us a principle. In verse 4, he says he searches for that lost one until he finds it. He don't say he searches for a little bit and then he gives up. One time I had my son Joshua when he was four or five years old. We went into some department store. I think it was like J.C. Penney or something. And I was holding his hand and we were walking through these clothes racks. You know, those big round racks were full of clothes. And it must have looked like a jungle to him. You know, I can see over him, but he can't. And we're walking and, and I let go of his hand to look through for a shirt or something. I don't know what I was doing. And, and that little booger scurried away and got up underneath one of the trees somewhere and hid from me. And I, when I looked down, he was gone. I said, uh-oh. And I looked around the corner, and I'm looking around. I said, Josh, Josh, he's being quiet. He's playing hide-and-go-seek. But it was serious to me. All of a sudden, a little panic. Have you ever felt that? A little panic starts to rise, and you're looking around. And I didn't, you know what? I didn't care. I didn't care who heard me or how embarrassed I, it made me, made me look. But I said, Josh, I'm crying out loud in this department store. People are looking. What's wrong with that guy? Joshua. And I'm thinking, do I need to call 911? I'm fixing to get the store manager to put it on. The th Finally, little Josh comes out. Now, I was mad at little Josh, but I didn't show it. I grabbed little Josh up, and I loved on him. Josh, don't do that again. And see, I think that's the way Jesus feels about us. Now, he probably doesn't panic or anything. He knows everything. But he's going to search. He's not just going to say, okay, well, he's in here somewhere. Somebody will get him. He's not going to do that. Did he do that with you? No. He searched until he found the lost sheep. Verse 5 says, when he found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Joyfully. See, there's nothing more exciting than soul winning. If you've never been able to 
tell somebody about Jesus, and then they say, well, what do I do? And you say, well, um, you, you ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, and, 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 and you lead them through the sinner's prayer, or you bring them to somebody who can lead them through the sinner's prayer. Whatever happened, you were a part of leading somebody to an eternal salvation. I tell you what, that flips your trigger. You may have won a business deal. You may have won the lottery. But it is nothing in comparison to, to making an eternal difference once you've done it. Some of you say, well, I don't know how to do it or whatever. Just hold on. We're going to talk about that. But you find them. You, go, you have to go look for the lost sheep, you understand? And you find them. And you bring them home. Bring them home to Jesus. And then, that's not enough. You need to help them begin their journey. You need to start them down the path. To, to You know, you don't just deliver a baby and then say, okay, you're on your own. Do you? You have to nurture that baby. You have to feed that baby. You have to clean that baby's diapers. Right? And you have to put up with a lot of whining and stuff. Some of you don't, I don't want no new believers in here. They're too much trouble. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You got to shoulder the load, my friends. Jesus said you put them on your shoulder and you carry them. You teach them. And that ain't easy all the time. It requires something of you. But I tell you what, it's the best investment you'll ever make is to put somebody on your shoulder and lead them to Jesus. Verse 6 says, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. And nothing should bring more rejoicing to the body of Christ than to hear one sinner's come to repentance. One of our, our members led somebody to Christ or somebody comes down front and finds life. You understand what we're talking We're talking about life here. People that were dead in their sins and trespasses, no hope in the world, in the miry clay, and God reaches down and brings them out and sets them on a solid rock and gives them eternal life. That's a big deal. And the church ought to rejoice. Man, we go down to these places and we minister. Sometimes there's 30, 40 souls saved at the youth villages and 20, 30 sometimes at the jailhouse. And we throw these numbers out and it just begins to sound like, oh, that's every week, you know, we just get used to it. Are you kidding me? We are to throw a party. They're throwing a party in heaven. I can guarantee you every one of those souls has a party in heaven. Nothing should bring us more joy. Nothing brings more joy to heaven itself than a church that gets a hold of the idea of going find the one. Leaving the 99 and going find the one. Man, that's a concept Jesus came up with. We probably got about 99 people in here. We've been running right at 100, a little more sometimes, a little less. Probably about 99 folks in here today. How do you think they got here? All of us just... Decided at once, hey, let's go to the Passion Church. There was a lot of them that was found one at a time. In fact, all of you were found one at a time, weren't you? One at a time. That's how it's done. So last week we started, I didn't know we were starting a series, but I, I'm going to call it the House of God. And last week's message was called the Lighthouse. That's one version of the House of God. Tonight, or today, well, I'm calling it, today I'm going to call it the rescue mission because the body of Christ is supposed to be a rescue mission we're supposed to be on a rescue mission too man's fleshly tendencies as we know is to stay with the fold 
not to get outside of their comfort zone, stay within where they feel, especially men folks. You know, they won't ask for directions. <laughs> and even some churches, it's sad to say, have divided up into little cliques. And they want to do church with people that are just like them, whether it's people of the same economic backgrounds or the same skin color, which is shame on us to the max degree. We, we split up and some, some churches only, you know, I only want to go to church where they're teaching the meat of the word and they want to be with all these superstar Christians. And if there's any sin in the church, well, I'm, not, I'm leaving the church. They got hypocrites in there. Well, where are the hypocrites going to go? Where, where are the, the rest of us going to go? Because there's no perfect people in the body of Christ. And so you got a lot of this stuff going on, people saying, why should I be interested in mis misfits and outsiders? I'll tell you why we are. Right there. Because God said everyone's going to matter here. See, we're a hospital of hope. This is where the misfits and the outsiders come to find a little hope. Because they know they matter here. Everybody does. There's no big eyes and little U's here. And I tell you what, one of our main concerns is when people, the lost, come here, that they can find a place where they fit in, where they feel like they belong, where they understand it's a family atmosphere. Now, Sometimes we try, we're trying to put things in place where nobody falls through the cracks. Nobody comes here and nobody shook their hand. Or they shake their hand and they get involved, but then somebody was rude to them. You know, babies, they don't understand. They get offended easy. They're coming off the streets. They expect a certain thing from Christians, and often we give it to them. And so we're trying to put programs in place, do the best we can so that everybody feels important and nobody falls through the cracks. But another thing we got to do is not just... Be concerned with the inwards, the 99. What we're talking about today is being concerned that, that we go get the one on the outside. We go care about our community. I was with uh, Kathy, Calfee the other day, and we were on the uh, outreach, the sidewalk stories, where we read stories to, to kids at the South Park Apartments. And... Uh, you know, we, I was pulling her wagon for her, and she was reading stories to the kids. And, and towards the end of the, our time there, the kids, you know, we'd, we'd always spoke to all of them, and we was on the way back to the car, and Miss Kathy said, do you mind if we stop by and see this one kid? See, there was a blind kid that weren't there that day that she had make, uh, developed a relationship with. She knew where he lived. She went and knocked on the door. See, she was leaving the 99. She was going after this one little blind boy. She had a book in Braille or something. I don't know what she had, but she had something that she, wanted, she had brought specially for that one to make him feel special. And I'm thinking, that's what it's all about. That's how you leave the 99 and go find the one. In fact, our outreaches, the sidewalk stories, is leaving the comfort of our purple chairs and go and find the lost ones. Today, when we leave here, where are we going? to the nursing homes to find the lonely ones. And then after we go to the nursing home, we're going down to the jail to find the lost and in trouble ones. And then next Saturday, we're going to youth villages to, to, to find the hurting and broken little kids that's got a bad start in this life. Many 
through no fault of their own. But we're reaching out to the ones that the world wants to throw away. See, the world don't care about you if you're not normal. You're not like them. But we do. We're determined to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Because Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. He did it for us. Have we forgotten so soon that we were once misfits and outsiders? Have we forgotten that we were once the one that was may not have admitted it at the time, but my life was a mess, and I wish somebody would come and show me the way home. I wish somebody would come after me and show me some attention. I wish somebody would care. And Jesus did it for us. In Matthew 25, 37, Jesus says, Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? See, God doesn't forget even if you just give a cold cup of water to a little child. When did we see you a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. And he takes it personal. He takes it personal. How do we develop this kind of heart? Because I can tell you, it ain't always in us. <laughs> As is evident by the amount of people who show up to many of our outreaches. It's not just naturally in us. We're not, I mean, the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost, but it's us, us to work it out with fear and trembling. And there ain't a whole fear, a lot of fear and trembling going on some days, it looks like. So what do we do? How do we make sure that we're walking in this love and that we're living out this love and that our lives are now, we're part of the ones going find the one? This may sound strange, but this is what I came up with. The way we learn to go find the, the or to leave the 99 and go find the one is to leave the 99 and go find the one. Pastor, that's not making no sense. Now wait a minute, wait a minute. It may not even be the way you suppose. And it may be a lot of ways. It may be more profound than what I've even got a grip on right now. But the way we develop that kind of heart to leave the 99 and go find the one is to leave the 99 things you got on your plate right now. To leave the 99 concerns and responsibilities and phone calls and the 99 likes you got on your last post and this and that and all the 99 and to go find the one the, the capital O-N-E the one, the Father in heaven and go spend some time with the one so to, to want to leave the 99 and go out there and find the one you're going to have to spend some time with the capital O-N-E Luke 5.16 says Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. If Jesus did, how much more? I wonder if Jesus wasn't getting a little frustrated that day. He said, oh, how long shall I suffer thee? When he told the disciples. I bet he was thinking in the back of his mind, right, I need to get, to, get in the wilderness and go pray. <laughs> he was a human. He would get frustrated. I, can you imagine taking on his schedule? 
They said many times he didn't have time to eat all day he was ministering so much. They thought he was crazy. His drive to reach the lost. If you don't have a heart for the lost, let me just say this. In many ways, you're still lost. I hate to say that. You're lost to Jesus' ways if you don't have a, a heart for the lost. If you think you can get yours and be fine and live out in my four and no more and the rest of your life is yours to do as you please while people die and go to hell, I don't think you're getting it. I don't think it works like that. We're found so that we can help others be found. I wrote this. A life only focused on our problems will always become overwhelming. See, self always implodes. The more, I don't care, you can have everything in the world going good for you, but you st start concentrating on me, me, and what I want, there'll always be something you don't have, there'll always be a reason to complain, and you'll spiral downhill until you're right back where you started before you were blessed. We need to learn to leave the 99 things, the cares of this world, and go find the one, Papa God. And then we leave the one to go find the one. See, it's a, a different mindset. We go find the lost one he points you to. And then become a shoulder for somebody else to lean on. Well, Pastor, you don't know, man. My, I got so much on me already. Well, that's why Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Cast your cares on me. What you hold on to that for? But you don't understand, Pastor. I, ain't got, to, I got so much going on in my life. I got to focus on me. I got to do me. If you're a shoulder for someone else to lean on, I wrote, Your burden won't increase, your burden will lift. Your burden will become insignificant and lost in the midst of God's true purpose for your life. And it's spelled L-O-V-E. That, my friends, is the strongest force in the world. And it's stronger the more you give it out. It's stronger more giving it out than it is taking it in. If you think you got too many burdens, you look around. There's somebody else worse off than you. You go help them. And you'll forget about your stuff. What is leaving the 99 look like in our real lives, Pastor? I mean, you talked about the ministries and some of them we have in the church and opportunities, but how do I do this? What do I do? I think about my daughter, Kaylee, how she just grew up always rescuing somebody from a bully. She just always had a heart, you know? When somebody at her school was being bullied or picked on, she would always stand in the gap. She was a fighter, too. She was ready to fight the bullies for people. And I think about how she would, at the lunch table, and I'm not just making this up and saying this because it's my daughter. This is her heart. And she would, be at the, she would see some kid alone at the lunch table, and she would go sit by that kid instead of sitting with everybody, sitting with the 99. She would go find that lost umbrella and make a friend. And I thought, that, she's going to do great and mighty things in this life. And I'm so proud of her. I think of, that, you know what? There's lonely people at the adult table too. You know, bullying and loneliness and, and insecurity and all that doesn't stop the day you graduate. 
There's people down at the nursing home today that are still dealing with issues that those junior high students are dealing with. We're all just little kids to God. We're all in this sandbox together. We all got to have a little compassion and empathy on one another. That brings me to my friend Nicholas. He's trying to hide now. But Nicholas is always looking for people to share with. Just, just looking for somebody to talk to and to share his testimony. And he's always going to invite them to church because he knows this is where they can find themselves. And he's going to shoulder them with rides to and from church if necessary. He's going to go the extra mile. He's going to take the weight of them on him. He's going to give them a listening ear. And he, pray, he, he pays precious attention to people who hadn't had attention in a long time. I mean, many of you right here, I, I'd, I'd almost dare to ask you to raise your hand if Nicholas has touched your life. He, my friends, I see hands. And this, did he say raise it or I don't know? But one person in this place, all he does is just say, let me share what I got. There's no magic formula. But he don't even know it, but he's so young. He's 24 years old. And he is in the ground floor of a church that's going to be global one day. And he is part of developing the seed, the DNA of this church that will place people find the real Jesus. Because that's what the real Jesus does. He takes time with the woman at the well. He goes and kneels down and touches the leper. He reaches out. And he spends time with her. What are you dealing with her for? Jesus, we got more important. No, no, no. The blind Bartimaeus is calling out. He's going to stop. He's going to do. And that's what Nicholas does. And then he helps, he helps disciple people. He's 24 years old and he's discipling grown folks. And there's, not, there's nothing supernatural about that other than Jesus in him. And if he can do it, we can all do it. And he's showing us the way. I think about Don and Becky, for goodness sakes, and others here in the church that are always got their eyes open for somebody in hurt, is hurting or in need, some kind of way that they can give out. They're looking for opportunities. They have become junkies. You know what's true? They have become junkies in the right way. Jesus just says, let's bridge the gap between the us and the them. Let's bridge that gap. Don't let it be a them. Let it just all be an us. Turn to Luke chapter 8. Verse 25. Then he, meaning Jesus, then he asked him, where's your faith? Why do you ask him that? Because he just stood up on the front of the boat and calmed the storm with a wave of his hand and a, and a command of his voice. He just stopped one of those big thunderstorms like we'd experienced down there in Florida. And the disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man, they ask each other. <laughs> when he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. And so they arrived. See, they were coming from Galilee where he had had large crowds preaching. And all of a sudden, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. 
And so they encounter this storm and they're on the way across. And so they arrive in the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. The spirit had often taken control of the man. He's in a bad way. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them. And he rushed out into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. Now, this is a true story. His disciples were there. And they just got out of the boat. Which one of those disciples are you thinking is saying, I love that man? I'm not talking about Jesus, the demon-possessed man. Which one of the disciples are you thinking, there's a lot of worth in that guy? Let's see how we can invest into his life. Do you think anybody at that scene other than Jesus saw value in this demon-possessed man? You know, we often lately been hearing about an evil game uh, named MS-13 and how they've infiltrated America, a lot of them here illegally, and they're very violent. We don't want that over here, certainly. I'm not saying we want that over here. We often think of people in terms of groups, you know. We don't think of them as individuals that may have grown up in that environment and don't know any better. And we think of ISIS and we all these things, you know. But I read an article this week that said that the MS gang, MS-13 gang is from El Salvador and that the evangelical church in El Salvador has reached out to these guys. Not condemned them, not put them in a box and shunned them, but got down in life together with these guys and showed them that Jesus cares about them too. Now, it's not to cause them to break up the gang, but the leaders of the MS-13 gang have made an edict. They said, if you try to leave our gang, we'll kill you. You don't get out of MS-13 once you get in. At least we'll beat you severely. But they've made an exception unless you want to go into the ministry because we like these guys over here. They care about us. That is the only way you can get out of the gang, MS-13 in El Salvador, is if you join the ministry. They give you an exception for that. These evil guys. And I also saw an article this week about how so many Muslims, by the thousands, are being baptized and coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so many times we lump them in and say, oh, there's no hope for them. There's hope for anybody you reach out to. Everybody needs the same Jesus. Where would you be? So you know the rest of the story? 
Jesus casts the demons out of the, the man and sends them into the pigs and the pigs run down into the lake and drown. And, and it says in verse 35 that the people of the town rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. Where was he at? Breaking chains, screeching, howling, cutting himself? Nope. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. I don't know why they were all afraid. Maybe the world had written him off to the point where they can't see how he could ever change. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people of the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and to leave them alone. For a great wave of fear swept over them. I don't, I don't understand. The world don't understand the power of Jesus. But here's the place I wanted to get to by bringing up this story. The next line says, So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the sea. Well, well wait, Jesus. We just went through the storm to get here. I thought we was on a, we was going somewhere. Jesus says we were. He met us at the bank. That's where we were going. We were going after the one. Now we're going back to the crowds. Yeah, I left the big crowds. I left the 99. I endured a storm at sea. Risk our lives to get across the lake to reach this one that nobody else cared about. And now we're going back. It interrupted the way we would see our portfolio or our planning schedule or scheduler or whatever. You would never, and I have experienced this, you will never regret reaching out to someone no matter what it costs you personally. You'd be late to this meeting, even be late to work, get docked in your pay, it don't matter. Whatever you put that 99 things you got to do aside and you go after that one, it will always be worth it. As for me, the man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So we went through all the town proclaiming the great things that Jesus had done for him. And there's no greater witness than somebody who knows Jesus came just for me. I mean, there's, there's nobody more thankful. He who's forgiven much, loves much. When you know that Jesus came after you, you contemplate how He left the 99 and came after you your whole life. And the things He had to do to reach your heart. How could you not love much? And I want to say this to our church, if not us, who will love the unlovely? I'm sure there's a lot of other churches feel the same way as we do. But if the, if the church won't love the unlovely, who will? That's how you tell the church if they got a spirit of the Pharisees, the spirit of self-righteousness when it's all about them and anybody who, who's hurting and broken and confused 
They turn the homosexuals away. They turn the drug addicts away. They turn the, the adulterers and the, the greedy and the immoral and they turn them away at the door. No, you don't belong here. This is church. Are you kidding me? You don't know a thing about church. Church is a hospital. It is a place where the broken come to get healed. It's a place where everybody in their seats is at some stage of recovery in their life and none of us have, are in perfect health down here on this side. All of us are getting better. So together, in closing, we're a lighthouse. And we need to see ourselves as a rescue mission. The lighthouse is to draw them and, with the power of God. And the rescue mission is a heart to go get them. And a heart to keep them when they get here. I wanted to leave you with some practical things. Because you know, so many times it, it feels like we're just playing church to me. As pastor, I, I care deeply about the things that I, that I feel like the Lord gives me for you to learn. And I feel sometimes like I preach it. And, oh, it went good and people are excited, but there's no change, no real effect in people's lives. And I hate that. And that's why I often give you the pastor's challenge on the sheet or something to give you something practical. I want to give it to you today. Like we said last week, get filled with the Holy Spirit. It gives you the power to witness. He's the one who sheds the love of God abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Stay filled with the Holy Spirit, number two. And you can do that. Somebody says, I don't know. We did it last week. We just spent five minutes in prayer just opening ourselves up. And you can do that every day. You can get up tomorrow morning. You can get up. You can leave right now and go do it. Fill me, Holy Spirit. I surrender afresh today. Develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Number two, spend enough time in prayer with Jesus that you stay sensitive to the needs of others. Leave the 99 things you got. Make a prayer life. Make a time alone with Jesus. If you're consumed with the 99 things you got, you will never do anything for the Lord. That's self. You got to get outside of that. Number three, participate in the church events that we have. We have tried to structure our outreaches where there's some for the more mature who's ready to knock on the door and confront an unbeliever face to face, even talk doctrine. But then we've also structured it so that you can pull a wagon at sidewalk stories through a neighborhood full of children. And every one of these ministries that we have like today, you can come to the nursing home with us and you can sit out there and make a friend and that, my friends, is ministry. To a lonely person who has no one to visit them, you can go sit at a table, pat them on the hand and say, I care. I came today because I care. They know. They know you're there because you care. Participate in the church outreaches. And even if it's uncomfortable... Are you going to stand before Jesus and he's going to say, what did you do for the kingdom? You'll say, well, it was uncomfortable, Jesus. We can't use that as an excuse. The Christian life is uncomfortable. The Christian message is uncomfortable. Everything about this is uncomfortable. It ain't going to be comfortable until we get to heaven. 
But then it's going to be comfortable. It ain't going to be comfortable in hell. And then the last thing is what I want us to do here for a moment is ask God to give us His eyes so that we can see people. I mean really see people. I mean not just glance, glance across people, not just, oh, that person's in my way. They're in front of me in line. No, see people not just as sacks of skin with bones in it, but see people as feeling and hurting and caring and lonely and, and striving with the same issues in life that you are. And they're, they're hurting and they're masking their thing and they may be angry or they may be passive and we're all acting a certain way just trying to fit in down here. We're just trying to be some, just somebody love me. Does anybody care? See, you know the love of God. You know what it's done for you. You wouldn't be here this morning. But there's so many people that don't and we just get mad at them. They're acting the way they act. They're acting that way because they don't know what to do. And so like Nicholas, he just has the eyes of Jesus and he goes around and he sees people. They're not just in his way. There are opportunities in his path for him to find himself and to find that joy. Is it joy, Nicholas? <laughs> Why do you think he's always smiling? And we can all do that. So I'm going to challenge you. We're going to pray for that in a, in a minute. But I'm going to challenge you. Do something this week. Do something this week. If, if it's been so long since you've reached out to anybody and you've got consumed with the 99 things that's on your plate, be determined that this week... If somebody waves at me and I wave back and, I, and I'm on my way and then I think... Oh, I remember I was going to do something this week. Hey, John. God bless you, brother. It's a step. It's a step. It didn't have to be something overly religious or whatever. Or maybe, John, John, how's your mother? I didn't I hear you say? A little care. A little concern. Just take a step this week. Now, some of you may say, I do that all the time. Well, that's good. Do a little something more. I challenge each one of you, wherever you're at, and your empathy for others, this week, to take a step. Well, that guy, he's always messing up my room. I wish I had another roommate. I'm going to begin to see him with the eyes of Jesus. I'm going to love him anyway. That's how a change happens in people's life. You love them into it. You don't complain them out of it. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.